And if you want to be an impactful, you know, masculine leader, you have to be able to access that, you know, for your sake, for the sake of your loved ones. Doesn't mean you have to, you know, become a, a martial artist or something, but you have to know how to touch that energy. And in some ways, uh, you know, the simplest version of, of this, I sometimes work with guys is just like, is, you know, no, or back off, you know, those are two versions we've played with before in, in workshops of just like setting a boundary of like, no, or fuck, or, you know, whatever that energy is, that's just saying, this isn't okay. And I'm standing up for something more right now. Welcome back to another episode of Dear Men with my fan favorite, Jason Lang. Thank you for being here. Excited to be back. I am just presencing. I did my own personal growth workshop this past weekend. And so now I have a throaty voice because I did some rage work and it was fantastic. So that's why I might sound a little different today. Um, We are addressing the father wound today and how do you know if you have one? How does it affect a man? And then we'll sort of also talk about what you can do about it. So yeah, I would uh, I would love to hear just, you know, a basic version of what you would define as the father wound. We're going to go into a few archetypes, but what's the kind of overarching father wound? Because I think some people might not know. Yeah, I think, you know, there's there's different ways to cover this, but the the one that's probably most present to me right now, and certainly from my own experience, is just a frame to talk about this, is like the gaping hole of the nutrients I didn't get. Like that, uh, you know, ideally uh, a parental unit, father in particular, gives us a certain kind of presence and energy and nutrient that helps particularly us as men um, learn to be masculine in the world and how to handle ourselves. Um, But, you know, that goes for fathers teaching girls or boys or, you know, um, there's a certain energy that brings in that when we haven't gotten that, it's it's like a gaping hole that I've experienced in myself as a man. And uh, in the, you know, years of men's work I've done, like it really shows up. And it shows up, it can show up when you're, you know, 14 years old and it can show up when you're a 70 year old man, like still, still feeling the impact of that, that lack of getting this kind of crucial thing um, from the father, this crucial, crucial set of nutrients, as I like to say, and that we can do, you know, I was just joking with you before this, um, part of my journey has been like, we do all, I've done all kinds of work and modalities and therapies and medicines and all these different things. And sometimes it's kind of like, it's almost kind of annoying to me sometimes how simply it just comes back to like, and there was that thing I didn't get. And like, I'm still working that through my nervous system, through my choices, through my day to day to this day, (laughs) like even after all of that. And I think, you know, there's often talks culturally about a crisis of fathers and 
um, the lack of presence of fathers and changing family units and uh, just the fact that, you know, this day, probably more than other any other, you, you can be a boy um, and basically be raised without a dad, without any masculine in your life. And that can have, you know, a real long-term impact on you and create, you know, whether we call it the wound or the, the kind of gaping hole of a certain something that we didn't get, which then um, impacts our presence as men in the world throughout our lives. Yeah. Including in relationship, which is sort of part of why we're doing this episode, because I would say, I would say the majority of our clients have some kind of father wound and we're going to go into the different, different kinds there are. And I think I just want to say upfront that this is not unresolvable. It's not irreparable. It's not that you have the father wound and it's just this gaping maw for your entire life and it never gets better. <clears throat> it's just like any other wound. It can be healed and it heals faster when you actually address it, right? If you don't address a wound, it gets infected, it spreads. Now it's harder. You have to treat the whole system. It's a whole thing. So just kind of want to say that up front. And, you know, when you're talking about the nutrient missing nutrients, I think that a good example of that is just the transmission of healthy affection healthy masculine affection, the feeling of being loved by dad, healthy affection is often missing, right? If dad is shut down or dad is emotionally cut off himself, or if dad isn't around at all, just isn't around, then we don't get that nutrient. And to your point, you know, that has an effect. And you said something poignant on a call that I wanted to highlight, which was there's another nutrient involved healthy dad, which is a transmission of, oh, you don't know how to do something. Let's figure it out together. I'll figure it out with you. Right. Yeah. I will be there with you as we figure this out together. Not just, I'm going to teach you how to do something, but I have faith that you can do this and I'll be there with you as we learn how to do it together. And that what you said was that when that's missing, it can rob a boy of his power because he never learns how to do things, how to take initiative, how to move forward, how to take action. And that I think is one of the biggest patterns that we see in clients is passive men, men that are mm -hmm. passive in their lives, either passive at work or passive in relationships, passive with women, um, just kind of waiting, often waiting for permission or just not taking action. And this is often where that stems from. So we're going to start to go through the archetypes, but I just wanted to yeah, see if you had anything you wanted to add about that piece of I'll figure it out with you. Yeah. You know, it's one that, um, I mean, I, I have firsthand lived experience of, so that's kind of where this, this transmission started incubating in me. And I've talked about it a couple of times in, in different formats, but it's like, um, you know, a great representation of this, right, as I've been doing lately over these last couple of years, a lot gets filtered through the lens of I'm now a father myself and the experience um, being on the other side of that with a child. And I remember one of the first, um, I don't remember where I read it, but there was a study just about kind of the differences between parenting between moms and dads. And just like a very simple example of this was, uh, again, a generalization. So not everyone does this, but 
when, when they did these large scale research studies, they had some statistics that kind of mapped here that, um, you know, those baby wearers that you, you can wear, they're like a, it's like a vest and you can kind of tuck your baby in it. What they found was um, with like infants and, and young kids, moms tended to wear the baby facing them. So the baby was facing mom, like kind of contained by her um, and safe and held. Dads tend to wear the baby facing out. So they're actually behind the baby and the baby's looking forward into the world of like, hey, here we go. We're going out into this new space together and I'm right here with you. So it might be a little scary. It might be new, but but I got your back. But we're going to go into the unknown a little bit, right? And that really shows up, I think, in, in this kind of energy of the... Um, you know, it, the timidness or the kind of fear that, you know, I've had to work in my life of not having had that. So A, like a fear of doing things wrong, not knowing how to do it right, and not really having the capacity in myself to even know how to ask for help, um, it, which is a big area. I see this one showing up um, in that the, this nutrient of like, yeah, it's that feeling of being like, in a way, side by side. Or, or having, you know, dad behind you and like helping you learn how to swing or fix something or figure something out where there's, you know, you're actually encouraged to fail, but with support behind you. So it's like, oh, you do, that didn't work. Well, let's try this. Well, that didn't work. Well, what else could we try? And there's like a collaboration there that builds, or I think, a real sense of resiliency that I've had to kind of like painfully cultivate over the years and retrain myself um, to get from other men and ask for help around and that I've seen, you know, I, I think there's some studies that, you know, a version of this resiliency of, you know, kids that are like um, sons of entrepreneurs, successful entrepreneurs, they will like launch and fail more businesses by the time they're 25 than other people do their whole life. And they fail so much, they eventually hit. They like eventually we'll we'll have something that works, but like it's in their DNA to kind of try and not get it right and iterate. Um, that creates a certain type of boldness, I think, that this nutrient um, really has. And so many of the guys, you know, we've gotten to work with that I get to work with, and um, this is one of the things they're missing. Is like I want to figure this out, and sometimes I literally just feel like I need someone on my side cheering me on and giving me some tips and guidance to like iterate through it a little bit. And um, it can be a painful thing when we don't have it, but you know, as I've done the work and, and, and felt into and seen like what's been missing, it really comes down to that. Like a dad who's just in there present with you and helping you figure out stuff, like helping you fail forward in, in some sense. And, you know, I had an experience, like it was, it's about a year and a half ago, I was on a men's retreat with some guys I knew um, on a river trip. And, it, you know, it was river, uh, whitewater rafting. It was not an environment I was familiar with. So I was very much like in the hands of some close friends of mine. And I noticed as we were going through the uh, weekend, I was like carrying an incredible amount of anxiety. And as I started to like feel into why, I noticed I was like... Um, positioning myself sometimes in the boat or, in, you know, being available for conversations to not have to 
do anything I didn't know how to do. Like literally to not have to do anything I didn't know how to do because it felt so awkward. Um, And there was like a real fear in me from just not having this energy, this nutrient built when I was young. And I had to like sit down with my guys and be like, I'm having this experience and I could really use your help, you know, this weekend of like giving me permission to ask like really mundane, dumb questions of like, how do I tie that knot? Or how would I do that? Can you show me? And it was so vulnerable, but so freeing. And then just, just an amazing, you know, like outpouring of love and support from these men who are just like, oh yeah, no, it's totally okay. You don't know how to just do this stuff. Just, just ask. But it was like, so woven in me from not having in that. I like, I was terrified of not knowing. And that's shown up for me in a lot of areas of my life. And I think one of the versions of this that can manifest when we don't have that, um, that figure it out energy from, from, from a, a parental figure, particularly our dad and that that lives in our nervous system. So that's one way the father wound, you know, really kind of lived in me was like a deep anxiety about not knowing and a way I would go kind of quiet or disappear rather than confront the awkwardness of getting it wrong in, in some sense. And can you say a little bit about that? Were you afraid that you would tie the knot wrong and then be shamed for that? What was the, yeah, I think shame's definitely a part of it. Like even just like a, um, uh, doing it wrong or not knowing how to do it. Like for me, it was kind of like a freeze awkward state of just like, I don't know how to do that. Like, and as I traced it, it was cause, Oh, it makes me feel like I'm eight years old and I don't know how to take care of myself. So that's what was coming out in those moments, like an eight-year-old boy who was just kind of in a panic and didn't feel safe to ask for help because there hadn't been enough you know, connection in some sense in my family unit to, to feel comfortable with that and didn't really have that presence in some key parts of my life. And so, you know, I think for some guys, it could be shame. For some guys, it could be, for some guys, it could also just be kind of man box culture in general of, you know, you got to always know your always know your stuff, always be tough, always be on top of things, never show weakness. Uh, That gets drilled into us. You know, that wasn't so much my root of it. Mine was a little bit more personal in this sense, but yeah, there was just that like um, fear of admitting I didn't know what to do. I didn't even know how to do because it's like, what, you're like 41 years old and you don't know how to do this basic thing, Um, which no one actually cared about in that group in particular, right? But it was such an old pattern in my nervous system that uh, was why it really like, I had to confront it that weekend. I think that's a really good point about not feeling safe asking for help, because I think that this is going to tie right into our first archetype, which is neglect. And I actually Mm -hmm. want to start with physical neglect is pretty obvious, meaning dad just is not around. There's just dad's just not around. So either dad is working all the time and isn't in the house or dad passed away or dad is in prison or mm-hmm. in some, in some, or left or dad just left. Dad is not in the house. He's not around. That's, I would call physical neglect. And that's not the technical definition, but that's what we're talking about essentially of there's just no one there. There just isn't dad. He just isn't around. Yeah. What you're pointing to, which I think is more, a more common pattern that we see in clients is emotional neglect, which is dad is technically around, but dad is not really there. So dad is physically present, but emotionally absent. Mm -hmm. 
And there is a way that if you weren't attuned to by healthy dad and healthy mom, then of course it's going to feel really vulnerable to ask for help. Because if, if you haven't had that experience of someone paying attention to you, tracking what's going on for you, asking about your feelings, just being with you, really being with you, being present, emotionally present with you, then it feels really scary because you, you feel like maybe I'll ask and nothing will happen. Maybe I'll ask and they'll turn away. Maybe I'll ask and someone will ridicule me. There's no, there's no feedback loop. There's no parents are supposed to attune to the child. They are supposed to be tracking the child. They are supposed to be doing that all the time. And that's part of how the child knows who it is and, and to your point, how to ask for help. So not knowing how to do something is not debilitating. If you feel comfortable saying, how do you, why do this? Will you teach me? Will you show me? It's only debilitating if you don't know how to do it. And it feels overwhelming and terrifying to ask for help. And that's something that I think I've witnessed a lot of growth in, in many of our clients is learning to stretch that muscle, learning how to reach out, learning how to ask for support. And I think it's a testament to all the personal growth and awareness and consciousness work that you have done, that you were able to have that conversation with your men. You were able to say, hey, I'm noticing this pattern. (laughs) I'm noticing I'm holding a lot of tension and anxiety in my body because I don't know how to do things and I'm kind of scared to ask. And then they were, then they had it on their radar that they knew how to support you. So that's already advanced practice that you demonstrated even in, in speaking to that. So I think I've seen that kind of growth in a lot of our men and that in and of itself is transformational because that the whole point of being able to ask for help is that we learn and we grow Mm -hmm. and then we know more and we, you know, it actually works. So (laughs) it's a really effective thing to do. And it's again, also really, really, what's the word disruptive. If we cannot do it, if we can't ask for help when we need it, we get hurt, we get hurt. And often we get stuck or trapped in loops of rumination or whatever it is that can take years or decades to get over. So we're, we're not as active in our lives. We're not as successful in our lives. It's a really big deal to ask for help. Huge, huge energy. Uh, and time sync for me as, as I, you know, mapped back over time in all kinds of different ways. Sometimes there was like a stubbornness where like, I wouldn't ask for help. So I would like slave through trying to figure something out in, in totally unnecessary ways that could have been a lot easier when I just learned how to like ask for support and say, Hey, could you show me this thing? Or I don't know how to do this thing. You know, could you, what would your suggestion be? And as I've, you know, cultivated that more. It's like, oh, it's way easier. It's just way easier. And it takes less time and way less energy. Yeah. It's more efficient. It's it's, yes. it's a lot more efficient. And I think that's another thing that we've lost in the West in terms of indigenous culture versus Western culture is genuine respect for elders. And I'm not talking about Judeo-Christian honor thy father and mother, you know, submit to the authority of the church. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about wise men and women and beings in the tribe that would guide and were available mm-hmm. for counsel, that there were wise people available to you to go and ask for help from that could help you access your intuition or just knew more than you, right? You mm-hmm. ask an 85 year old woman who's a matriarch 
how to do something, man, she's seen a lot. Yeah, (laughs) She has the institutional wisdom. And in many of our lives today, we don't have access to those kinds of wise elders. We only have our nuclear family and whoever we're coming across at school or coaches, things like that. We do have access to some folks, but we used to live actually live in tribes where that was normal. And we would watch our parents, for example, go to the elders. It was part of the culture that we learned and have lost. And I think there's there's big loss there. Um, but that's not exactly what this episode is about. So we're going to keep going on the archetypes. So the neglect dad wasn't around is pretty pretty straightforward. Neglect, emotional neglect dad was around, but not really. There's sort of two versions of this. One is he wasn't emotionally attuned. He wasn't available. And that can be because he was, like I said, cut off or depressed, depressed himself. You know, I've talked to men who said there were sort of two versions. There was dad before he lost his job and there was Mm -hmm. dad after, right? Like they'll say, yeah, when I was six, my dad lost his job and he changed and things changed in the house. So sometimes there can be an event or a trauma and dad just becomes unavailable and that makes a big difference. And sometimes it can be alcoholism or drug addiction, some kind of just, there are just big, large, massive chunks of time when dad is not available. He might be around, but he is checked out. He is numbing out. He is not there. And that dad is absolutely not tracking his son. He is not helping his son with his homework. He is often become someone that in those cases, a lot of times the child is parentified, meaning the child becomes the caregiver. So they have to be the one cleaning up the beer bottles or making dinner for themselves and dad or the family or whoever. But there's a parentification that takes place, which is very, very lonely. That experience is deeply lonely because there's no one taking care of you. So not only are you not being taken care of, but you are also becoming the parent in many circumstances. And that can be confusing because it's all you've ever known. You don't know what it's like to even be taken care of, right? Attuned to. Something we've seen in our, definitely in our clients. I'm thinking thinking of one client in particular who, you know, this was, uh, he falls into this, this category and he kind of kept picking women where he felt sort of like they were just taking from him, right? He felt mm-hmm. sort of taken advantage of and like he was constantly giving. There was a lot of output, but there wasn't a lot coming back to him. So these patterns that we're talking about show up in relationship. And that's one of the ways they could show up is if you keep attracting partners where you feel like you're always the one giving and you're never getting anything in return, this could be one of the roots of the problem. And in that man's case, you know, it was... To his credit, he didn't end up kind of committing to a woman that was really not showing up for him, but it was kind of, no matter how much he gave, she wanted more. Mm -hmm. And that was not going to change until these fundamental patterns shift, because that's to your point, you know, how his nervous system was wired. That was what he learned was normal. This is a quote unquote, normal familiar relationship, right? The origin of familiar is family. We learn what's familiar from our families. And it's not that he wanted that, right? It's not, we don't repeat these patterns because we want them. (laughs) The whole point of this episode is to raise awareness. The whole point of all the work we do is to bring consciousness, to bring these things into the light. Because of course, 
he was sad and upset and hurt and annoyed. This was, these were his relationships. Like, why do I keep attracting women where I don't feel met? I don't feel taken care of. I don't feel, you know, appreciated. I want that. I want those relationships. I want to be with a woman like that. And it's not happening for me. And this is, I think, part of why. Yeah. And, it, you know, I, I, I remember who you're talking about and part of his journey was us even getting that awareness to open up of like, wow, that sounds really hard. He had just totally normalized that he basically parented himself from like seven years old, like making food, getting himself home from school. And, you know, the, it, it like took a while for him to even open to like, wow, that really was not normal in the sense of I was kind of robbed of a childhood and yeah. his nervous system wasn't at all conditioned to know how to receive. Yeah. Right. So there, there was like, it just wasn't an open channel and something that, you know, did start to change um, as we saw his, his, his trajectory of growth of like that awareness around that. You know, I think um, another thing I want to mention, particularly about the, the, the emotional neglect uh, that I think I've seen sometimes in some of our clients that I think is related sometimes to the nice guy syndrome that, that can show up as Sometimes when there's an absent father, whether it's physically absent or emotionally absent, like the as sons, we won't have that pivot of like the natural and appropriate moving away from mom to dad. That that tends does tend to happen, you know, around that age of puberty of like there's a little bit more distance with mom and there's kind of more energy going into dad at that point. But if he's not there to go to. <laughs> that like that move can be interrupted and we can stay a little hyper enmeshed um, with, with our mother, with the women in our lives. And we don't really know a way out of that because we've never experienced another way of like, yeah, what does that masculine, you know, love or connection or compassion look like? So it's not the case with all men, but definitely one I've seen um, show up with some guys where they, they kind of never left the mother because they had no father to go to. Yeah, that's a really good point because again, in many, in many cultures, like you said, there's often a shift. I mean, many cultures all around the globe, there's a shift right around 12 or 13 where girls and boys, and again, this is pretty binary. We're not talking about, um, it's not very inclusive of non-binary people to name that explicitly. Although some cultures did have two-spirit and there was more acceptance and awareness of, of that, but there was often a sort of boys now learn how to become men by going out with the men of the tribe. So they start to learn, they get apprenticed or they start to learn how to fish or hunt or do whatever the tribe is doing with the men. They're going out with the group of men a lot, right? Daily, mm -hmm. all the time. There's a lot of time spent in the presence of the men of the tribe and same for the, for the girls learning to become women. And that again, also totally missing, you know, to your point there, are, we work with lots of men who either dad was just gone a lot or dad was emotionally absent to the point where it was like, I don't really want to spend time with that guy. And he, he obviously doesn't want to spend time with me. He's not inviting me to go places or teaching me how to do things or making plans, you know, guiding me. Mm -hmm. And he's kind of distant and he can be kind of mean or just dull, you know, sort of like there's not a lot of energy there. There's not, there's not a lot happening. 
So of course I'm going to go towards mom, right? There's, there's energy, there's aliveness, there's things happening. I feel like I, I get attention. I get love. I get grace. I get, you know, that's normal. And again, it's not noticeable. It's not something that necessarily the man notices, but he definitely notices later on when he's, you know, drawing volatile women into his life or not having success with relationship. It's like, why isn't this part of my life working? I don't understand why my relationships don't work. There's a, there's a tie in here. Absolutely. And, you know, it brings to mind another subset of emotional neglect we were kind of talking about, which uh, we've definitely seen show up in clients of like, there's no emotional connection. And instead there, there is a type of presence from the dad, but it's more kind of like a nitpicky slash everything's got to be high achiever. Like there's a way you need to go in life. And if you're not on on track with that, you're in trouble, right? So there, there is kind of a lot of involvement. And the number one thing oftentimes is, is I've talked to those guys they were missing was like any kind of curiosity from their yeah. father about what they wanted or what they were experiencing or what they were feeling. And instead it's like they get kind of, as kids swept into this trajectory of what, you know, dad thinks the family and what I should be and do, and there's a right way to be, and it's his thing. And, you know, they can end up getting hyper involved in sports or certain activities that just are not at all their actual core. And that set these incredibly high standards that are then impossible to live up to. Um, That has really, really damaged some of the men we've worked with. That's a great point. Yeah. Perfectionism. So you will be accepted. You will be loved in this family if you become an engineer or you become a physician. Yeah. Or you get straight A's and you excel at any sport that you participate in. And here are the sports that are acceptable to participate in. And here are the ones that are not. And I'm not going to ask you what you want to do. Maybe you want to do theater. <laughs> Maybe you want to do badminton. There, but there, you know, as you said, there's not, there isn't that sense of who are you? I'm coaxing you out. I'm teaching you how to learn about yourself. I'm helping you understand who you are. Instead, it's, I'm telling you who you have to be in order to earn love. And if you aren't these Mm -hmm. things and you don't do these things, you aren't deserving of love. And a lot of those men end up with, you know, a core belief around, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy of love. I'm, or I'm just not worthy at all. Like I'm worthless. And again, I want to reiterate, this is not a death sentence. This isn't, this is how your whole life is going to be, but understanding where these core beliefs come from is extremely helpful. It's really helpful to shed light on this because this, it can be an invisible thing of not sort of tying things back to their origin and then being able to challenge them. So I want to briefly touch on the last archetype, which is volatility. So dad was around or dad was around sometimes And when dad was around, he was angry. Mm -hmm. And again, can tie into alcoholism. It depends on, or, or drug addiction or whatever it was, but this is, yes, dad was there. And sometimes when dad was there, things were a lot worse and it was scary. And dad had outbursts and, and this isn't just at the kids. This is often what we hear from clients is dad was angry at mom or, or the people, other adults that were around often mom though. And that was terrifying. That was absolutely petrifying. And that, that energy of un, 
unconscious rage directed at someone who's smaller is terrifying. You know, post-traumatic stress disorder is well-documented that people who witness stressful events, people who witness traumatic events can also get post-traumatic stress syndrome. So that you can have post-traumatic stress disorder, whether you were the one who was, you know, screamed mm-hmm. at or yelled at, or you were witnessing that event. So the effect in your nervous system is overwhelm, right? You Many people, especially children, will go into a state of freeze because they don't know what else to do. Their body is just shutting that down. So that might look like escape. It might look like running into the closet, hiding in a corner, hiding under the bed, just going catatonic. Um, can you say a little bit more about this one? Because we've definitely had clients where this was part of this was part of dad. And in what from what I've observed, I'm curious about your your experience as well. A lot of these men grow up not wanting to be dad. I don't want to be that. I don't want yeah. to be that. And so they cut themselves off from their power and they don't get angry. They've, they've sort of cut off that power center of healthy anger because the only anger they really saw was out of control. Yeah, totally. I think the the this version is a good example of oftentimes the two moves men make are towards or away from. A lot of the guys we work with will do the the move away from this, right? So uh, one strategy right. towards dad or away from dad. Yeah, uh, like replicating that energy, right? So the guys we tend to work with are, are more away from. So I don't want to be that, and so there's um, a tendency to kind of be, be small to hold things in, um, oftentimes to just not reveal anything. So expression I've noticed for some of these guys can be really hard because any kind of expression with a volatile dad is ammo that he may attack you, right? Physically, emotionally, whatever that might be. So there's like, I don't want to give any signal, right? It's like, literally, I want to freeze. So he forgets I'm there. Um, And that, that, that like freeze response can be physical, but I've really seen even just in terms of expression of just like, I can't show any emotion or any cards. Um, cause I don't want to give them that. This is especially relevant because in relationship that gets in the way of intimacy. If you, if you're a person, if you're a man who you feel like you can't reveal yourself, you can't reveal any of your emotions, and you're unconsciously doing that. You don't realize you're doing it. It's really hard for your partner to feel close to you. It's really hard for them to get to know the real you and support you and love you if you're if you're holding your cards against your chest. And we've worked with a lot of guys who didn't even realize they were doing it. They had some sense, but not the extent to which it affects love. Absolutely. In you know, uh, to, to just kind of underline this even more oftentimes, and this is something I've seen, but to even a less extent, I mean, it wasn't as intense for me growing up, but, you know, I saw a version of angry energy that doesn't really lead to anything productive. And then like a, a tendency to cut myself off from that. Cause like, what's the point, right? I've seen what that does. And definitely a lot of men we've worked with who have just kind of cut themselves off from, from that anger, which can be actually a really necessary and healthy thing when it comes to setting boundaries. So kind of reconnecting that, you know, there's a, there's another variation of this that just came to mind, um, that, uh, we also see, and it might not necessarily be like an aggro dad in terms of violence or anger, but there's like a, um, 
a similar thread to this with like a dad who was maybe a womanizer. So a dad who was in relationship, you know, married, but was so clearly going out and having an affairs, sometimes consciously in front of the family, sometimes not. And as a result of that, the men totally cut off from all good, right? All their sexual energy and not wanting to be like dad, right? So there's, it's like the last place they want to go with a woman they're interested in, um, which is another version of that, like kind of moving away from. And, and then sometimes, you know, we don't work with these men so much. We have sometimes, but there can be the going towards where, you know, it's very easy if you're someone raised in a volatile household to perpetuate that later on. Cause at some point you get big enough, you can like hit dad back or you can push back. Right. And then that's kind of in your nervous system and you can perpetuate it by kind of falling prey into that as well. So that the aggro dads can, you know, really be so just destructive in, in so many ways to, to the health of, of kids. Yeah. And you, you know, you've done a lot of men's work at this point. And I think if you could just speak briefly to that experience of reclaiming healthy anger, because I feel like a lot of both conscious women's work and conscious men's work, conscious humans work really is about reclaiming healthy anger because so many of us have seen unhealthy expressions of anger. And what, what are some examples that you've seen in men's work of reclaiming healthy anger? Yeah, I think what it, you know, tends to come down to, and, you know, guys take note when you can have access to this, it's actually a deeply attractive thing. And, you know, a healthy version, I would say, is like open-hearted anger. It's all that energy is there, um, but my heart is open. And it's not like just like a live wire destroying everything around it. It's just an energy source that um, I'm in touch with, but I'm not also overtaken by in the moment. And that's like a real capacity, you know, we have to kind of learn to cultivate in ourselves to keep our heart open and stay firmly connected to that anger, um, which, you know, my Zen teacher, I think I've maybe mentioned before, I just changed my life when he just reframed um, anger for me is like, you know, clean, healthy, open-hearted anger is just deep caring. It means you really, really care which is a whole different thing from what most of us see, particularly in the aggro dad situation of aggression, which is I have this kind of energy in my body. I don't know how to handle it. And so I direct it out. I like spew it out and take it out on my environment or I take it out on other people and it can be very damaging. So, you know, I've had to learn to do this work, you know, in front of another man who, who's giving me feedback on like, that's too much. That's too little right there. I can feel your heart. I can't feel your heart right there. That's scary. Like to actually help me tune into what it means to, to be present to this energy and to still be open and connected to the person I'm with and to just learn to hold that energy um, in my body. And, you know, one of the areas that's one, frankly, one of the best training grounds for accessing this often is in relationship to our dads. It's, you know, sometimes our moms, but getting to work out some of the the withholds or the anger or the um, resentments from, you know, what our parents weren't able to give us, you know, and obviously sometimes they've also given us good stuff, but there's something about connecting that wire back that it's like, 
It's okay for me to be mad. It's okay for me to be upset that I didn't get this thing. Doesn't make them, you know, a horrible person. Doesn't make me a horrible person, but it's true. It had an impact. You know, it had an impact, dad, that this happened in getting to play that out in front of other men. And literally it's like, um, you know, sometimes it's like hooking up another battery like to, to see it happen in a guy when suddenly that like root chakra comes back online and like the breath deepens and there's just like a solid landing into the earth, into their bodies in that moment and a tremendous release of energy uh, often I see. And, um, you know, when it's done in the right container, that energy is matched with just a tremendous amount of like openness and just deep, like I'm here, I'm really here. And so it's it's learning to actually um, embrace that energy and, and distinguish, as we teach our guys, between anger and aggression. That anger usually means you really care, like right, like I said, or that some kind of boundary has been crossed. And if you want to be an impactful, you know, masculine leader, you have to be able to access that. You know, for your sake, for the sake of your loved ones, doesn't mean you have to, you know become a, a martial artist or something, but you have to know how to touch that energy. And in some ways, uh, you know, the simplest version of, of this, I sometimes work with guys is just like, is, you know, no, or back off. You know, those are two versions we've played with before in, in workshops of just like setting a boundary of like, no, or fuck, or, you know, whatever that energy is, that's just saying, this isn't okay. And I'm standing up for something more right now. Yes. And that often comes from protection. What I've noticed in a lot of the men that we've worked with and just men in, in my life is that feeling protective of someone else is often where the boundary comes from. So for example, um, there was a man that needed to advocate for his wife in the hospital and he needed access to know we're not doing that. She's, she's under, right. She's anesthetized. Mm -hmm. She can't advocate for herself. I know because we've discussed it. No, we're not doing that. If you don't have access to your anger of someone trying to speak over someone else or someone trying to do something, you know, they don't want. If you are someone who doesn't have access to your anger, you might capitulate in that moment. You might cave, you might become passive. And that's a travesty to the person that, that you love. You know, we've had multiple men that said that their marriages failed because their, their wives or their, their, their partners couldn't feel their, their boundaries, couldn't feel mm -hmm. their core, couldn't feel their healthy anger because that sense of no, like you said, when someone's trying to push you around and you get angry, there's a reason it's like, this is, a, you are trying to cross a boundary and I'm saying no. And that is, I think the confusion between aggression and assertion. So being assertive versus being angry, you know, a, a story comes to mind of um, a guy who was overweight and his family would make quips and kind of, you know, make fun of him or um, essentially kind of bully him a little bit. And there was a time it was, his, I think it was his dad and his uncle or something. And he was around 10 and he would often just like laugh a little bit and go along with it. And finally, at some point he said, I don't like that. I don't like that. Stop that. And they did, they actually did. And he, and he said, what I learned was when I say something with force, with some, you know, assertively I'm heard. 
And that is an example of I statements. We talk about I statements and I think you well known. There's a difference between saying you're an asshole, right? You're an asshole is aggressive and it's not actually very revealing. Like you said, I don't like that is an I statement. It's, it is revealing and it's assertive and it's not controlling, right? But it's, but it's direct. And that kind of energy, when you reclaim it as a man, and I think a lot of our men are, are on this journey and some are further along than others. There's such a freedom and a power to it because all of a sudden, you know, you don't have to just be resentful of your housemate for not doing the dishes. You can have a conversation about it and say, I actually am bothered by this. Mm-hmm. And that's a powerful thing to say, you know, if, unless someone is a boundary crosser and that's a whole other episode, mm-hmm. have a boundary crosser, listen to the borderline personality disorder episode, but people that aren't, you know, in that category, yeah, they might have some feelings about it and it's going to get their attention. If you say I'm bothered by this, I, I, I don't like this. I want, I want a new solution. I would like to find a way for this to work for both of us because this is not working for me right now. That's powerful. People will notice they will, they will listen, not, you know, the crazy ones, <laughs> but in general, there's such a freedom. And I've, I think we've heard that from clients over and over of, wow, like I didn't really know this was even on the menu. I didn't know I could do that. I didn't realize that was possible for me. I maybe had seen other people do it, but it just felt like this just amorphous thing out there of boundaries or being assertive and learning how to actually do it can be a total game changer, not just in relationships, but elsewhere. And I think that 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 sense of no, that deep sense of of no, to your point, comes from care. It comes from caring. No, you're not taking her out of this hospital room. We're going to figure this out here. That's, that's not okay with me because I know what she wants and this is not it. It's, there's a protection, there's a protectiveness. And I think that's one of the, one of my, um, one of the things I deeply respect about the masculine is that sense of inherent sense of protectiveness. I have a lot of men in my life that I can feel, you know, if the chips were down, man, they would stand up for me, right? They have, they have access to that and they, they would be right there. They would, they would fight and they would, they would care. They would do that deep caring thing. And that's just invaluable. Yeah. It's like the, the, that protector can go for self as well. So that's another area of, you know, seeing the, seeing that vitality come back of like, I'm not okay with you treating me like that. I don't deserve to be treated like this, you know, or whatever that boundary is, like, even when it's for protection of self, oftentimes voicing something that, you know, we weren't able to voice when we were young because of our situations, but it like brings back a certain kind of um, dignity I've seen in men. I've just like, yeah, no, I, I, I can stand head tall and like, this is not okay. And, and think, here's, here's your options, right? You can yeah. not do that or this is over. Yeah. That's a great point. I remember a guy friend of mine talking about a relationship he was in and they were in a group and she said something about him. And I don't remember what it was. But she said something about him that really didn't sit right. It felt bad. It was either the way she said it. Maybe it was kind of passive aggressive or poking or prodding or just Mm -hmm. didn't feel good. And I think the aggressive response is in that moment to say, what are you talking about? 
or to somehow shame her or put her down or get angry in her face kind of thing. And he didn't do that. He also didn't um, brush it under the rug. He didn't pretend it didn't happen. He didn't sort of um, think it was his fault or just go along in the car ride and, and, and think like, well, I guess I deserve to be treated that way. He waited for the conversation to be over in the group. He took her aside and he said, I'm not okay with you saying things like that about me, especially in front of other people. That's what he said. And they had a conversation from there, but it's a good, it's a good example of, it doesn't have to look like the models that you've seen. And I think that's the whole point of this episode, right? Is the father figure that you got doesn't have to be the father figure that you stick with and finding healthy role models is worth it. Because if you've never seen that model, you're like, I didn't even know you could do that. I didn't know you could wait for the conversation to be over, draw the person aside and say, I, I didn't like that. I did not appreciate that. I don't want you to speak to me like that. Let's find another way to do this. If you've never known that that was even possible, then how could you expect yourself to do it? So totally. I think this is a good transition point into the sort of quote unquote solution or ways to recover from the father wound. One of them is find healthy male role models that you are involved with. So not just ones that you can kind of like look at or see from a distance, but that you can be around, that you have a transmission of in real life. And I think that, you know, your, I think your story of being on the river with your men is a great example of you did a lot of work to get to the point where you were at a men's retreat with trustable men that knew you and loved you, where you felt safe to share something like that with them. And they received you. You had already done work to that point to get yourself around men that I think are in a way, a transmission of the healthy masculine. You know, I look at you and your, your men, and I see men that are reflecting greatness to each other. Maybe you're not all great all the time or in all the same moments, but you are providing a a transmission of the healthy masculine to each other. Can you say a little bit about how you, how you got there in terms of your own journey? Yeah. The, you know, uh, Thing, thing I, I feel like I repeat to no end on here, but, you know, men's groups and men's work were my introduction really to that and where I got onboarded. And, um, you know, I viscerally remember one of the first experiences um, I had with a, a man who facilitated, you know, a very deep experience for me. And it just struck me like I was literally just walking, watching him across the room. And I was like, oh, that's that's how I want to be when I'm old. Like that's, I want to have, I want to like stand like him, talk like him, breathe like him. And it was just such, such a visceral thing of like, wow, that's a model of like a direction I really want to move in my life. And I saw him, you know, handle conflict in a group masterfully and, um, you know, do things I'd never seen a man do before. And that gave me like an, an imprint on what was possible in a direction I could grow that, you know, ideally our, our early caregivers can do. But like we said, you don't always get that, but you can get these imprints from other places. And for me, it was really um, men's group and men's work. And one of the reasons I think that, you know, it's like, in some sense, it's exploding right now. Like there's more, more available men's work um, than certainly when I started. And it's like going up every week in some sense. And I think part of why is because we are missing that like cross-generational 
chance for men to connect. And we see it in our groups and I've experienced it firsthand in my groups of like how deeply um, relaxing it can be when I'm like in some kind of crisis in like, you know, I'm just being, someone's holding presence for me that has just been through a lot of crisis. It might not even be the same thing, right? They're just, they have lived and suffered and celebrated a lot along the way. And there's like a depth to that um, and, a, and a willingness to just be present in that, that, and, and then like a, often a fountain of experiences they can, you know, kind of reach into to share from that can be just so soothing and so helpful from time to time. And, you know, outside of men's work, like, I don't know where you get that these days. Like, you know, men, how often do you hang out with a man in his 50s, 60s, or 70s? You know, depending on your age, probably not that often. And then even for older guys we see, uh, or I work with, you know, uh, sometimes it's the younger kids that can give them something, right? Like a, a certain type of vitality or energy or understanding or just reframing of the current moment. And there's just so much collaboration that can happen across the, the generations. So it's, there's, there's not a huge shortcut other than you got to spend time with healthy men. The good news is uh, you can get a lot of those nutrients this day more than ever, even if it's just virtual even over zoom, even connecting, you know, in, in, in these kind of virtual video chat spaces, it's even better when you can then combine that in, in person and really kind of get that tangible sync, um, entrainment of nervous systems that can just happen when you're around men like that. And that's kind of the key where, you know, I, I think that's one of the main things we're doing in, in all the men's work and men's groups I do and how we lead our men is we're just offering some reparenting. You know, we're just trying to give them a few of those nutrients that um, they didn't get early on that suddenly work their way in. And it's like, yeah, it's like that missing battery kind of comes online and there's some more energy, there's some more vitality and some more willingness to just take risk and be bold. Yeah, I've, I I think that there's a lot of limitations to talk therapy, but I have spoken to both men and women who have reported that a really good talk therapist, I think has played that role for them in, in a part of their journey of being healthy mom or healthy dad of just a stable, secure nervous system, right? You don't, you don't have to take care of them. They are taking care of themselves <laughs> right there. That's already different for some people and they care about you. They care about you. They're listening to you. You feel loved by them. Sometimes people will come to me and in, in, in a, in a moment of, I don't know if I should still be with this talk therapist. I've, I've, for some reason in the last year, I've had many folks coming to me and saying, I'm not sure. And my first question is always, do you feel loved? Do you feel loved by your therapist? If you don't feel loved by your therapist, you're not going to get as much out of therapy. <clears throat> but I have found, and this dates all the way back to um, when I would work with survivors of sexual abuse, of childhood sexual abuse, that for many of them, that was the, the one of the first parts of their journey was just having a safe and sane talk therapist that they mm -hmm. felt they could be themselves around and just be around a healthy adult. So I think that's another place that you can get some of this reparenting. I also think that as we've discussed many times, there are limitations to talk therapy. So I don't think it's the only thing that's needed, but it can be helpful, especially in what 
we're, we're talking about here of just get around someone who you respect, who you trust, who you can be yourself with, who is a transmission of the healthy masculine. I really liked what you said there about, um, yeah, just looking across the room and saying, I want to be like that. I want to be like that when I grow up, <laughs> you know, totally There's something inspiring about that. And it, it, it gives us a place to model off of, you know, I, I, I'm Jewish myself, but that, that the, what would Jesus do? There is a certain value to that, whether it's Jesus or someone else, but just having mm-hmm. a role model to think of as, you know, I, it doesn't, it doesn't matter who it is, but someone that you, that you like, that you value, that you respect. I think Van Jones, for example, is a great transmission of the healthy masculine, a lot of care, a lot of patience, a lot of love, a lot of discipline, you know, focus on justice and what's right and what's going to work and inclusion. And just, there are men like that. They are around, you know, we talk about that sometimes in our group of just who are some other transmissions of the healthy masculine. I really like Dwayne Johnson, the way he totally. talks about the relationship, the way he talks about his family, how, how, yeah, again, inclusive and just trustworthy he is as a, as a human being, what he stands for. And yeah, just, you know, being in a situation thinking, what would, what would that man do here? And, and not knowing is okay. It's not like you have to know all the time, but there is, there is something really important about, having a vision of where you want to go and then getting yourself around people that are involved in that, that, that kind of transmit that. Yeah. I think, you know, it just strikes me. One of the, one of the ways I can phrase this in terms of what to look for in healthy men or healthy masculine leaders is I, I think healthy men, healthy masculine, you know, what we're hoping will be this kind of new generation of father figures, literal or figurative. It's like, it's it's like spreading dignity. They actually help bring dignity to everyone they're with. Of like, hey, it's okay. You don't know that. Or, hey, I've been there too. Like, you're not alone in that. Or, hey, no, it's not okay for her to talk to you like that. Like, you know, we, we need to seriously help you work that out. But there's a way like, you know, the healthy masculine, like in, in a cheesy way, it like, you know, puffs up our chest a little bit. It's like, it's okay to be you. Like, it's okay to take take some pride in you, flaws and all. And one of the best ways we see that is by that man itself, himself often doing that. Hey, here's where I'm not perfect. Here's where I'm still learning. Here's where I'm getting help. And it's like, oh, that's okay. That guy's kick ass and he's still working on stuff. So I can still be working on stuff and keep my chin up. Yes, I love that. So as we start to wrap up here, um, is there anything else that you would want to share with a man who's sort of nodding along and saying, yeah, I think I've got that father one thing going on. (laughs) Is there anything else that you would suggest uh, as someone who's been on that slash is on that journey himself? Yeah. You know, there was a little fear for me when I first started doing this work because I wasn't conditioned to feeling close and open and safe with the masculine, but man, am I glad I did. Um, The journey of my life has been immeasurably better through the the highs and the lows because of just the incredible quality I've met around me that allow me to stay somewhat more regulated and grounded, which then grounds and regulates my family and and so on and so forth. So, you know, don't wait, uh, trust your intuition, reach out to a man, 
You know, if, if you want to connect with him or find a men's group or reach out to us and you can step on that journey and start to rework that energy to get that healthy masculine now. And, you know, to be frank, like we need you to do it. Like the world really needs that. Uh, I would argue very heavily right now. Like we really need men stepping forward to ask for help to um, be able to show up um, with with this father energy, right? How much, how much, how much could our world right now use a hell of a lot more of let's figure this out together? Yes. And I, an image is coming to me, a vivid image from, from your wedding where your best man was standing behind you and he had his hand on your back and he was looking at Violet at your woman. And he said, while you've got her, we've got you. And there was such a power to that of how much you would be able to show up for her. And like you said, for your family, because you were held, because you had that brotherhood at your back, fatherhood, brotherhood, you know, healthy masculine energy at your back that you knew you could lean into that was that, that would help prop you up if you, if you needed it. So I agree that that everything would be different if, if men felt more connected, more grounded and more include inclusive, which is, I think Mm -hmm. happens more frequently when we feel, when we feel held ourselves. So if you are interested in our work, you can go to evolutionary.men slash training and take our free training. If you'd like to go deeper than the podcast and learn a little bit more about what it is we do and who we work with and all that. And I think we'll wrap it here. Take care. Hey guys, one of the things we talked about in this episode was being able to ask for help and learn about things that you might not know before and things that you might think you should know, but you don't actually know. And I just thought this would be a good time to remind you that I do sell a course called Please Her in Bed that is all about how to please a woman sexually. And I think these are skills that men think they should already know and think they should already be adept at and skillful at. But actually, there's a lot that's useful to know from a woman's perspective. And I created the course in part because if you're sort of not ready for coaching or diving in with someone one-on-one, you can still get some support. It's a streaming course. You don't have to talk to anyone or do anything face-to-face. So if that sounds interesting and accessible to you, that course is usually $97. But for podcast listeners, you can use the code DEARMEN, that's one word, all one word, DEARMEN, to get it for $69. So just go to pleaserinbed.com or my website and go to courses, Please Her in Bed.